So hello, everyone. Hello, everyone out there in the TV land. No. <laughs> uh, it's good to have you live streaming this morning. I'd like to say hi to my brother Steve, my father, if you're able to tune in today. Hello to friends. Good morning, everyone. I want to thank you, Pastor Paul, so much for this opportunity to be able to speak uh, to everyone this morning. It's truly a, a privilege and an honor to uh, be able to share the word of God. Amen? And the freedom that we have, right? At least for this, this time in our country. So it's been a difficult year, hasn't it? And how difficult and the type of difficulty that uh, people have experienced, that, that varies from person to person. Can you agree with me that it's been a difficult year? Has it been a year that you expected it to be? I'll tell you, when I watched, uh, you know, um, the New Year's Eve bash uh, last December 31st, I had no idea that our year was going to turn out this way, right? Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have lost businesses. Some have lost homes, right? Others have experienced the emotional trauma of losing friends and family members, like Pastor Paul mentioned this morning. And even some have lost several immediate family members within a short period of time, maybe practically their whole family wiped out. Many have suffered bouts of depression from lifestyle changes, such as remote learning, for example, and isolation from family and friends. And of course, there are those that, whom fear has taken captive. What if I catch this dreaded virus? Will I make it? Who will take care of me? Then when we cast a glance, you know, outside our own four walls, we see our country in turmoil and civil unrest, divided on practically every issue, it seems. And now, it's December 6th, and we're in the midst of the holiday season. So can we still get excited about Christmas with COVID hovering over us? What do you think? Has anybody gotten excited yet? It's okay, you can be honest. Anybody not there yet? It's okay, nobody's going to want to say, but that's all right. Oh, somebody, somebody's honest here. Okay, that's all right. It's true, the holidays aren't going to be the same, all right? And if we keep turn, uh, turning on the news, we're, we're going to get more and more assured of that. <laughs> or being told that your holidays will not be or should not be the same. We're doing curbside uh, pickup for our holiday shopping, right? Lots of online shopping, probably, all right? <laughs> yep. Or maybe Christmas shopping isn't even a possibility this year because of some financial strain, right? If you lost a job or your business or whatever, maybe, maybe you can't even think about Christmas shopping. And that right there can lead to depression and, and sadness. And in the social arena, where's all the Christmas fairs? Where's the Christmas parties? Where's the parades? What's going on with Santa Claus in the mall? I don't even know. Probably no Santa Claus in the mall. And then there's us four and no more at Christmas meals. That's a hard one for me because I like to have several people at my table. Anybody else in that? Okay. That's what the holidays are about, right? Or at least one of the aspects is getting together, being with family and friends. All of this can create a somber spirit and somber atmosphere. But is all this truly what Christmas is all about? Is it? The shopping, the gifts, even getting together with family parades and craft fairs and things like that. Is that what it really is all about? There's nothing wrong with those things, but that's not really what it's about. These are the, some of the festivities that have become attached to a day 
that we use to uh, commemorate Christ's birth. That's what this day is all about, right? It's supposed to be a day that we are celebrating Christ's birth. There's nothing wrong with the festivities in and of themselves unless they take the place of the true meaning. And in the world, many times they do. They do take the place of the true meaning. Someone recently posted on Facebook, I'm not sure if some of you saw this, but it said, if Christmas was truly about Jesus, then the world would hate it. I'm going to say that again. If Christmas was truly about Jesus, then the world would hate it. If you're a Christian, you can truly celebrate the real meaning of Christmas because you understand that God sent his only begotten son into the world to be born, okay, to die for you and me, to bear our sins on the cross. We can understand the real meaning of Christmas. But the world can't grasp that, can't grasp the true, the true meaning. So if, if they really understood what Christmas was all about, it really would be a hated holiday. But I hope this morning that everyone here and those that are listening can really understand the true meaning, that, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and that you can really celebrate Christmas. And if he's not, you can, you can, you can make him become your Savior today. And that is why we celebrate. So is it a biblical mandate? Let me ask you that question. Is it a biblical mandate to celebrate Christmas? Does it say in the Bible, you shall celebrate and remember every year the Lord's birth, or you won't be blessed? We don't see in Scripture the early church having organized celebrations of the Lord's birth. We do see them commemorating the Lord's Supper, in obedience to Jesus' instruction to do this in remembrance of me. And actually, if we know anything about the history of Christmas, December 25th was originally a pagan holiday, and Roman Emperor Constantine Christianized it in around the 4th century. And it actually didn't even become a federal holiday until 1870. So the holiday grew in popularity over time. So why then should we celebrate Christmas? Where can we find the motivation? Have we ever thought about these things? While scripture may not implicitly instruct us to commemorate the Lord's birth, it does repeatedly instruct the reader to remember, to remember all that God has done for his people. So I think that's one reason in particular to celebrate Christmas, because God tells us to remember what he has done for his people. That is a very important theme in Scripture, remembrance. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 7, the Lord instructs, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. Also, Psalm 77, 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. God took great pains to instruct his people to conduct ceremonies, You recall the Passover, right? How the Lord told his people to do the Passover, to do this in remembrance so that your children, when they ask you, what does this mean? You can tell them. He is very big on having us remember things when he told the people about to gather the memorial stones so that the people would not forget what God has done, that they would remember and they would be able to teach generations about it. So I think it's very important that we remember how God left his throne and came to dwell among mankind, remembering. We could in no way have celebrated the resurrection of Christ if the birth didn't happen first. 
So I think it's very logical, right, that we commemorate and that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. So I think it's very appropriate that we celebrate a Christmas holiday because the birth had to come first so that we could celebrate a resurrection. Secondly, another point I think worth mentioning is that both the Gospels of Matthew and Luke contain a, a considerable amount of narrative surrounding the birth of Christ. So if there's a lot to say about it in Scripture, then that teaches us that God wants us to remember it. He wants us to know about it. It's important. So the fact that Scripture talks about it and teaches us and gives us all that information about his birth is a lesson to us and is teaching us that, that we need to pay attention to the details around his birth, that we need to remember that and commemorate it. You know, in, in a lot of um, denominations, uh, they celebrate the season of Advent. Anybody ever? I'm sure most of you have probably heard about Advent. Um, whether you're familiar with it or, or, or not, I'm not sure. But um, this year, this, the season of Advent runs from uh, Sunday, November 29th to Thursday, uh, December 24th. And it's a, it's a period of time, okay? It's a period of time of where you are, you are contemplating. It comes from the Latin word avino, avien, sorry, avieno, which means to come and to arrive. You are contemplating the coming and the arrival of the Lord. And I think it's a good thing to celebrate this Advent, this season of Advent, because you're preparing your heart, preparing your heart for the coming of the Lord, for when he arrives as that baby, you know, born for us. And I don't know, how many of you have ever had like an Advent devotional or an Advent, uh, you know, a book? Uh, maybe you've done readings online or anything like that. Has anybody ever done that? Okay, because there are, there are, you know, there's free resources online if you want to look things up. I have just been reading one from Luther Seminary, daily uh, readings. Um, there's also, there's one resource, Billy Graham's Advent devotional, which is like a, a weekly devotional that you can read. And it's just something good to just inspire you and to encourage you daily, to, to get you in the, in, in, in the swing of things, to get you motivated for the Lord's coming, okay? And it can motivate you for his second coming as well, because Jesus came, he came as a baby, he, and he comes daily to us in our lives, and he is coming again, amen? In the second coming, he will come and he will return again. So we have so much to look forward to. So Advent, we are in the season of Advent, and we should be expecting and awaiting his coming. So although I've attempted to motivate you this morning to, to celebrate Christmas, I think the best person in Scripture to motivate us, besides, you know, all, all these examples I've given you, would be Mary. I think she is the, the, the best person to just motivate us to, to celebrate the season because she was so inspired by the Lord, and she knows what it's like to rejoice in God, her Savior. So if you want to turn with me, um, we're going to go to Luke chapter 1. We're going to cover a lot of the story here this morning as much as we can. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. I'm dividing this message up into three parts. The visitation the confirmation, and the exaltation. So first we start with the visitation, and I'm sure many of you know this story already, okay, about how the angel visits Mary, angel Gabriel. So Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. We're going to read. 
Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. It's one of my favorite verses. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay, so here we have a story of the angel Gabriel visiting a young girl, okay, a young engaged girl. She's engaged to a man named Joseph. She's probably about 13 or 14 years of age. Okay, that can blow our minds when we think about that in today's culture, a girl so young, okay? And she is visited by an angel. She is considered highly favored, okay? Now, when we look at that passage in verse 28, all right, and he comes in and he says to her, hail, favored one, okay? This is not like, when we, think, when we see the word hail, we're thinking automatically like worship, right? Like hail, like bow down. It's not that kind of a hail. It's more like he's saying to, it's a greeting. It's like rejoice, be glad, Godspeed. It's not an invitation to worship Mary, okay? That's something that we need to, you know, just point out at this point. So Mary, in all of her humility, was shocked to hear such a pronouncement from an angel that she was a favored one. Even though she was obviously a moral and devout woman, she was well aware of her own sinful nature. Gabriel tells Mary that she will conceive the Son of God and his kingdom would be everlasting. And Mary asks, how will this happen since she is a virgin? And the angel says, that it will be the work of the Holy Spirit. And Gabriel says that Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, will confirm how God is moving because she too has become pregnant through divine intervention, though not in the same way. And though this pregnancy occurred through natural means, the hand of God made it all possible because the angel says, with God, all things, nothing is impossible with God. Amen? And Mary responds with complete submission and faith. What does she say? In verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Handmade, okay, in, that, in the, the term that's being used there, basically means slave girl. It expresses complete obedience the slave girl could not do anything except do the complete will of the father. Mary was expressing her complete obedience to God in what she was, in what she was doing. 
by being used as a vessel before God. What an awesome and inspiring story for us this morning of Mary's obedience and her submission. And there was a lot at stake here. There was a lot at stake here. She was engaged to Joseph, as we said, okay? He could, he could basically divorce her, in which we know uh, that he, he, he thought of doing that. He planned on divorcing her quietly. She could even um, be put to death. But she took, that, she took that chance, and she trusted in what the Lord had told her. So now we're going to go to part two, the confirmation. So this starts with verse 39. So Mary gets the message from the angel, and she decides to, to it says to, she goes with haste to go visit Elizabeth. And this, this journey was probably about 80 to 100 miles away, about a few days' journey, so it wasn't just like an easy trip, but this is what she decides to do. It, the scripture says uh, that she arose and went with haste, so it's like an immediate thing is what she did, okay? And you could just imagine the thoughts that were probably going on in her mind. You know, I don't think that the devil is up to any new tricks these days. I think he pretty much has the same tricks that he, that he always has, and he probably was telling her things like, you know, you just thought you saw an angel. You just, you just think, you know, all that, that you had this experience. You know, maybe putting doubt in her mind, putting fear in her heart. Who knows? Who knows what she went through? But, but when she goes to see Elizabeth, she's going to get that confirmation. She's going to get that confirmation of, what, of, the, of truth, of what the angel said to her. So, verse 39, it says, Now at this time Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias, and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord." So Mary comes in the room, okay? She comes in the house with, with the greeting. Probably, you know, that was a typical thing that they did in that culture. Probably with a shalom, a nice, you know, hearty shalom. She comes in there, and all of a sudden we have automatically this Holy Spirit encounter, okay? This Holy Spirit encounter between her and Mary. The Holy Spirit is there moving. And, you know, uh, the, the, the fetus, little John the Baptist, leaps for joy when he hears Mary's voice. A total divine uh, interruption, if you will, into what's going on. He responds just to hearing Mary's voice because he knows that the presence of deity, that the presence of God is in the room. Isn't that awesome? This is what we have in our heritage. This is what we have to rejoice about in Christmas. All these awesome things that God did for us in the past how we just orchestrated Jesus' birth, how we orchestrated God's ministry, how we even, you know, birthed John the Baptist to be the forerunner. You know, he just orchestrated every single event to just happen so perfectly, the timing of everything. God had a perfect plan in bringing Jesus to this earth. He made Zechariah and Elizabeth have a baby in their old age, 
That was miraculous in and of itself, okay? Even though it was done, you know, by normal biological means, that was miraculous. You see the, the Christmas story is just filled with miraculous divine intervention. And I know in today, so many times we say, you know, you'll hear the old adage or whatever, Christmas is a season of miracles, and people just kind of, you know, whatever. But it really is true because this is what happened. It is a, it, Christmas in the truest sense, the celebration of Christ's birth, is and was a time of miracles. That's what happened. So I just want you to catch a glimpse of this awesome interaction that happened at this time. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the Lord, my, the mother of my Lord should come to me? She is already acknowledging that this baby in Mary's womb is the Messiah. She's calling him my Lord. And again, we see very humble women in, in, this, in this book. We see Elizabeth is humble. She's saying, well, well, I don't deserve for you to come to me. Mary, you see all of her humility. She's saying, how, how can all of this happen, you know, since I am a virgin? And, and she, was, she was astonished at the, at the uh, angel saying to her, you highly favored one. She was probably saying, who am I? What do you mean highly favored one? I'm just a girl. I'm just a girl from, you know, a, a, an average c common peasant home village. I, I don't have any, I don't have any prestige. I don't have, what do you mean I'm highly favored? All this stuff just didn't make sense to the logical mind. But these women, God used them because they were so humble. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. How is it that you, the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. This was, you know, I've been pregnant three times, and I, you know, I, so I've, I felt my children moving inside of me. So that's normal. That's normal to, you know, at some point when the baby is big enough inside, they start kicking or moving or squirming or whatever. So that's normal. But this was something that was not the normal moving around in the womb. This was a leap. It must have been some type of a karate kick that, you know, really a leap for joy that Elizabeth noticed and went, whoa, something is going on here. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her. That is Mary's confirmation. That's it. You, you are blessed because you believe that the Lord is going to do what, he's call, what, what he said he would do. It says that John leaped for joy. Christmas is a season of joy. Philippians 4.4 states, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And one thing I think that this COVID-19, you know, uh, pandemic has has brought to us is 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 a robbing of our joy right i mean really isolation and and not being able to you know a change in routine and death and all all of these things financial strains all that is a they're all big joy robbers but god wants us to to keep a hold of our joy because joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is something that fluctuates. Happiness is something, I feel happy if I go get my coffee at Starbucks. That's happy. But joy is, is, is that peace and that contentment that I feel when everything around me is turning upside down. And, and, and all circumstances are, are going against me. But I feel that peace and I feel that contentment 
And I, I'm not in despair because I know that God is with me and he's going to bring me through this. That's joy. It's not, ha, 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 ha. It's not that. Okay? It's, 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 it's that confidence. And that's what God promises us. He doesn't promise us happiness. He does not promise us happiness. But he promises us joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Jesus said in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you so that joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Whenever I'm thinking that God wants me to be down or depressed or sad or whatever, whatever messed up thinking I may have, I, I point myself, I try to remind myself to say, but wait a minute, the scripture says Jesus came that my joy would be made full. He didn't say nothing would go wrong. He didn't say, because he did say, in this world you will have what? You will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But he, but he said, I have overcome the world. He has promised that we will have joy. That's why it's good to sing at Christmas time, to sing joy to the world, right? That's a very good hymn to sing, joy to the world, because it is. It's joy to the world that the Lord has come. That is a beautiful, beautiful Christmas song. If you're a little bit down, start listening to some Christmas hymns. Not, you know, like Santa Baby and Baby It's Cold Outside. That's not going to, well, it might inspire you in other ways, but not, you know, you want to be inspired in scriptural ways. Okay. So let's go to the exaltation um, in verse Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. My soul exalts the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced. There's the joy again. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has had regard, or he has looked upon, the humble state of his bond slave, his servant. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. So this prayer right here, does anybody know what it's called? It might be right in your Bible. The Magnificat. It's called the Magnificat. And that's from the first line of its text in Latin. And I don't know if I'm going to say it right, but Magnificat anima main dominum. Okay, translated, my soul magnifies the Lord. So that's why it's called the Magnificat. Okay? And as one person put it, it's an outburst of praise, largely in Old Testament language. Mary was a young girl, right? About, like we said, maybe about 13 or 14 years old. But she was a virtuous woman, she was devout, and she knew her scriptures. 
She knew her scriptures. That's a challenge to all of us, okay? And to the young people here too. Because this prayer is full of Old Testament. Uh, you'll hear the echoes of the Old Testament in here. You'll hear, you'll hear the Psalms in here, okay? You'll hear Hannah's prayer. You'll hear an echo of Hannah's prayer in here from 1 Samuel chapter 2, which I'm just going to turn there for a minute, okay? It's very, if, you, if you read 1 Samuel chapter 2, 1 through 10, I won't read the whole thing, but uh, it's, it's very similar. You'll, you'll hear some of that. Uh, it's uh, Mary's prayer. It says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. And it goes on, okay? So there is some similarity there. But it's, they, they're, both, they're, they're similar, but they're different. Hannah was barren and couldn't have a child, and God blessed her womb. And with, with Mary, Mary was a virgin, and God used her to, you know, bring the Messiah forth. So she is rejoicing. She is rejoicing with exceeding joy. And verse 47, she says, My spirit is rejoiced in God, my Savior. So just a note here, okay, about Mary. Mary acknowledged the need for a Savior. Okay, Mary was not perfect. Mary was not sinless. Even though she was devout, even though she was morally upright and highly favored, she was not sinless, and she is rejoicing that God is sending her Savior through Jesus Christ. And God has looked upon her humble state. There's a lot about humility in here. And actually, just as a side note, just about, about the Savior again, back in that time period, the ruler in Rome, Caesar Augustus, was thought of as both human and divine. And he was also called the Son of God and great Savior of the whole earth because he brought peace to Rome. And the celebration of peace to Rome was considered good news. So isn't this interesting? What a contrast we're seeing here, that Jesus is, is the true Savior. Okay, Mary is declaring that Jesus is the true Savior, and he is the one that is going to bring the good news. Not Caesar Augustus. The Mighty One has done great things for me. Humble state, verse 48. He has ha had regard for the humble state. What is this humble state of Mary? Well, it could possibly mean just her, her uh, humble state in her rank, in her social rank. It could mean her sinful nature. There's a couple of different things that it, it, it could mean. So here we see an echo of Psalm 138, verse 6. It says, for, the Lord, for though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, the haughty he knows from afar. She says, for behold, from this time, all generations will count me blessed. All generations will count me blessed. Literally, uh, this translates, all generations shall bless me. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit tricky. But it doesn't mean that uh, that is an encouragement for us to worship Mary or to put her on any uh, elevated uh, pedestal. Because even in, in Scripture, we see that Jesus himself did not uh, try to put Mary on a pedestal. It says in Luke eleven twenty seven, 27, and it came about that while he said these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. 
And on another occasion, Luke writes that, and his, mothers, and, his, and his mother and his brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So we, we don't see an exalted position of Mary in the scriptures. Okay, we see her as someone that we would like to emulate, someone that was uh, favored by God, but we don't see Mary worship in Scripture. Just something to take note of. But she is definitely someone who inspires us, amen? And is someone who can inspire us this morning. Verse 51, he has done mighty things with his arm, okay? Which the arm in Scripture is a symbol of God's power. And he has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. There is, there is a lot to say about pride and humility in Scripture and in this, um, this song of Mary. Many times we see God bringing down the proud and raising up the humble. Isaiah 66 states, I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and who trembles at my word. God uses humility. And like we said, we saw that in Mary. We saw that in Elizabeth. Humble people that God raised up. How do you feel in your life? Do you feel that maybe that you are, you are nobody? You know, maybe that's how Mary felt, that she, was, she wasn't anybody significant. Okay, she was just a person from a, you know, an average village or, or, or you know, whatever the, the circumstances were at that time. Maybe you feel in, insignificant. God shows in Scripture time after time that he uses those that are unlikely, the unlikely ones, the Gideons, the, the, the Davids who are the youngest ones. He uses those that might not seem that they, they think too much of themselves. God always chooses the weak and those that, are, that consider themselves less than to show his power through them. That's how God glorifies himself. He glorifies himself through our human weakness. Amen? 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29 says, God has chosen the world's foolish things to shame the wise. God has chosen the world's weak things to shame the strong. God has chosen the world's insignificant and despised things, the things viewed as nothing, so that he might bring to nothing the things that are viewed as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. And he has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. You know, this, um, this Magnificat is actually um, considered very revolutionary and has actually been banned in some countries, such as uh, India, Guatemala and Argentina, by some of the powerful leaders, they have banned it, okay, because it talks about, like, pulling down authority, tearing down authority, and, um, and, and taking, you know, like, bringing down the rich and pulling up the poor, okay? So this is actually has a, a very uh, revolutionary tone because in, that, in this culture, too, it was understood that the rich would be well taken care of and the poor would just be hungry, Okay, that was what, in this culture at that period of time, that's how people felt about the rich and the poor. But God is a God who turns structures of society upside down. 
He changes things. He doesn't do what is, what is expected. What Mary is saying, he, God does the opposite, okay? He has sent the rich away empty-handed, and he has filled the hungry with good things. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, okay? God is always on the side of, of the poor, of the hungry, of the oppressed, of the widow, right? God is all about justice, all right? So today you may be poor in some way, you may be hungry, you may be oppressed, and guess what? God is on your side. He is on your side. And he will come through for you. He will come through for you. He has filled the hungry with good things. Very important, very important. One of the last points here in, in verses 54 and 55. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Mary is saying here that God is fulfilling his covenant. God has been fulfilling his covenant. He's been, he's been working on it throughout all the ages, but now God is fulfilling his covenant that he made with Abraham through sending the Messiah, Jesus. He is doing that, okay? She is pronouncing that. She's not, that God is continuing this. He is, the fulfillment is coming. He is bringing forth the Messiah. That is very important. He has always given help to Israel. Even, even in their times of bondage and oppression, and they were oppressed by many, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. But he's always been there for them. And God has always been there for you. Thank you. What does your oppression look like? What is it that you're dealing with in this, in this period of time? What struggles are you having? It might be related to COVID-19. It might not be. It might be something that you were dealing with prior to that. God doesn't want your joy to be taken away from you because, like the scripture says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. When you lose your joy, you lose your strength. And that's what, that's what the enemy of our soul would like to do. He would like to make sure that he zaps us of our joy so he can take away our strength. But the Lord is your, is your victory today. He is your victory. Maybe some of you are listening this morning and you're saying, well, I don't... I don't know, I don't know this, I don't know the Lord. I don't have this type of relationship with God where I think he's on my side and where, where I have joy. I, I, don't, I don't even know how to even come to God or talk to God or anything. It's not hard to talk to God. Just talk to him like he's your friend. And we're going to do that this morning. We're going to talk to God. We're just going to come before him ask him to come into our lives. If you've never asked him to come into your life, you can do it today. And he will give you that joy. He will give you that peace. No matter what you're facing. You can just repeat this simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I don't know a whole lot about you, God. but I believe that you are the Savior. 
believe you came down to earth for me. I believe you were born of the Virgin Mary. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. I ask you to become Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Take my life. Do what you want with it. Give me joy and help me to live for you. Jesus' name. I just have I just have this one thing that while we're closing that I would just like to read to you. It was part of a devotional. Just if you could just keep your eyes closed. And let the Lord minister to you. says, what chains or fetters bind you? Addiction, hatred, stereotyping, violence, doubt, fear, the list goes on. Whether a result of your own actions or of the actions of others, they cause pain, harm, and shame. The promise is that the Lord comes to set us free from our chains. And not just that, the Lord goes further to honor us and give us crowns. Rather than being prisoners at the bottom of the social scale, we find ourselves at the top, wearing a crown. A crown is traditionally worn by a ruler, one who is not ruled by another. Martin Luther reminded us that God gives us all that God possesses and takes all that is ours. So we receive the crown and he takes our chains. The coming of the Lord results in a radical reversal all to our benefit. As we close this service today, just take a few moments to just connect with God before you leave.